Okay, and welcome everyone back to another episode of the Alex and Mo podcast. And tonight we have, well, I know her as D, but Dr. <laughs> Daniel Dixon, um, orthopedic certified specialist and performance plus physical therapy owner. D, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here with you guys. Yes. Well, usually Alex you. becomes a fun boy when we have like, you know, <laughs> orthopedic therapists and stuff like that. And tonight I thought I was going to outnumber him because both of us are from Trinidad and Tobago and we're mm -hmm. women, but it mm -hmm. seems like, oh, I'm outnumbered because you guys both, you know, did a sports re orthopedic uh, residency and he's like gushing over like all, all the technicalities behind working with, with dancers. So... Alex, you see, you see, you're teasing all all evening. So that's yeah. yeah. I, I'm I'm definitely like you know like we were talking before we came on. Like I, this is very exciting for me because when I did my sports residency, I had the chance to work with with dancers and and there's such a unique population. Um, things that you I took away from that experience, which helped me with with other things. But yeah, yeah. I, I just. You know, and I think we'll get into this, but I think they're athletes. Um, some may not think so. Some may disagree. Um, but I think when you've had the opportunity to work with um, them and, and to get a feel for what they do and and what they're capable of making their bodies do, I, I don't think you have an argument to say that they're not athletes. But that's just me. Uh, I, I would entirely agree. There are lots of people in and out of the dance world that would strongly dispute that and I, I i i invite you to a duel at any time <laughs> i will i will well, always fight for this <laughs> and i'm on your team i'm on your team because because yeah. i it, it hopefully, again. hopefully dr monique is on my team too but well it was a very humbling experience for me because at first i didn't think cheerleaders and dancers were athletes because i didn't think it was demanding the practice that they had to do compared to like football and basketball and stuff but i i was wrong i admit that so mm -hmm. like one of those humbling moments i've had several in my life and i'm probably mm -hmm. going to continue to have others mm -hmm. i respect those who dance who perform gymnastics so it's a lot of hard work it's very demanding so my apologies to anyone i may have offended before saying that as a cheerleader or a dancer you're not an athlete so mm -hmm. i humbly apologize Hey, that's gonna only come around once in a lifetime, okay? So, <laughs> so let's, take it, let's take it back, B. Tell, tell us about, you know, how you got started and kind of what led you down the path of dancing and, and working with dancers. Uh, sure. Um, so I have been a dancer since I've been three years old. Like, as Dr. Monique said, I grew up in Trinidad and Tobago, so I was trained in classical ballet um, and modern. When I came and migrated to the US for college, um, I continued to do that at the college level. And um, a very pivotal thing happened for me um, in my sophomore, sophomore year of the beginning of my sophomore year in college. And I went to Morgan State University, Morgan, stand up. <laughs> 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 I had to throw that in there. I had to throw it in there. Oh, is that one of your rivals, uh, Mo? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. But yeah. no comparison, no comparison. So I'm going to just let her have that moment. <laughs> <laughs> but um, in my sophomore year, um, 
in the summer of my sophomore year, I ended up going to New York City on a dance scholarship to Albany, the American Dance Theater. And I danced with them for 12 weeks, 10 hours, I'm sorry, 12 hours a day, nine to nine for 12 weeks. That That's how intensive it was. We did nothing less than at least four classes, four to five classes a day, ranging at an hour and a half with a little bit of a break. Some were technique classes, different techniques, ranging from ballet to modern to Graham, which is a type of modern dance, um, African dance as well, and then choreographic cho choreography at the end of the day. It was rigorous. Now, at the very beginning of that program, I got news from back home that my grandmother had passed mm -hmm. and she was the matriarch of our family. So it was a big deal. And because of how things were going at that time at finances, I wasn't able to go home. So this thing that I was super excited about, I'd grown up dancing, I love dancing. It's the Alvin Ely American Dance Theater. I'm in this amazing place. Suddenly took on a level of importance that I, I never thought. Like it had to mean something that I did well then if I was going to miss my grandmother's funeral. So I worked my butt off and uh, about two thirds through the program, I got injured. And it was the weirdest thing. We were doing our rehearsals. Again, as I said, 12 hour days, that's what I, that, that was our days that we worked, all right? Um, and literally just got getting up from the ground is when I pulled a muscle in my groin. I knew nothing about my, my body at that point in time. I had pain, but I was just like, okay, maybe I could walk this off. Hour and a half, train ride back to Brooklyn, because it was in Manhattan, the old Ailey building. This is an old, old Ailey building was in, um, in Upper East Side, um, Upper West Side, sorry, in Manhattan. Get back home, um, and my boyfriend at the time said, you should put some ice on it. And I'm like, you're crazy. Who's putting ice on their body? Nobody does that. And I did exactly the opposite, and I put heat in my body. And by the morning, I literally was bent over and I could not move. And the fear in that moment that set in that it, it, it was tremendous because everything flashed like all of the work that I had done for the entire summer just flashed through my eyes and just understanding that I had worked all of this time to say, okay, I did this thing in a really difficult time in a really difficult and emotional time and missed my grandmother's funeral and I couldn't perform. It like that fear stayed with me. And I was just like, if you told me to jump off a building and I would get back to dancing, I was gonna do exactly that. So I set out to find some help. I was lucky enough to um, get connected to the PTs that were at the school at the time and was referred to a PT and she did something magical. And it's in it, that moment, it was just like she did magic and suddenly I can move and suddenly I could walk. Um, and I had never been more grateful in that moment. And it stayed with me and it, it immediately impacted me so much that at a time that I was so scared and so afraid at a time that I needed to move, and it was important to me that I can do this for others as well. Um, I loved medicine at the time. I, I wanted to go into medicine. I wanted to do neurosurgery actually, um, but was kind of you know hesitant about it because I love dancing, I love traveling, and I didn't know any neurosurgeons that danced or traveled. It just it's just not a lifestyle that's compatible with that particular profession. Um, and immediately I knew that this is what I wanted to do. I had to be a physical therapist working with dancers. It was the perfect blend of everything that I loved and everything that mattered to me. So that's how I got into physical therapy. Wow. That, that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, now, how did, how did your performance go? Like, was it, oh. your, 
I, I, I killed it. I killed it. We figured yeah. out what was happening with my groin. I had a solo with, um, if you're in the dance world, you in the older dance world, you know this with Dwana Smallwood. She was one of the the lead dancers in the company at that time, the Alvin Ely American Dancer, the company. So she did a solo on me. I, I rocked it. I killed it. It like so grandma was happy. Oh yeah, we 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 did what we needed to do. It we got That's it awesome. done, and it was a happy ending. So I'm sure she's she's proud of you watching down. Happy that <laughs> you turned your pain into purpose, and you you have always been a persistent person since I've known you. So it's awesome to see how how much you've grown, and that you are in a specific niche and. You know, you have general practitioners. I consider myself a general practitioner. So I can, we treat in the home. So we treat multiple conditions. But if a dancer wanted to get home health physical therapy, I'm not going to touch that because I don't want to screw them up. Mm -hmm. uh, I want someone to get the best of everything. So mm -hmm. it's, it's already expensive. Because I know like soccer is an expensive sport. Mm -hmm. So dancing, I'm sure it's expensive. It but sure you is. you operate a cash-based business so mm -hmm. how is it that you get clients how do i get afford, afford physical therapy in mm -hmm. addition to the hundred maybe even thousands that they're already spending to train to perform absolutely um so that kind of is is kind of diving a bit into the business of any business, you know, in terms of supply, demand, and the quality of the product or the service that you're getting. Um, because of my experience, because of my background, um, my specialty is in orthopedics and sports, um, and of course, performing arts because of my dance background. I've done a lot of work in it. I've done research in it, published in it. I've spent the majority of my career doing all of the work in order to make sure that I am armed with the very best evidence-based tools in order to treat these dancers they come to me to get results. It's as simple as that. You know, if they are if they are coming in, flying in from New York to the Kennedy Center and they are starting a performance in three weeks and they can't squat and there's something funky with their knee, they come to me because they know they can get better in three weeks. It's as simple as that. Um, and I think any practitioner that's really great at what they do and has a passion for what they do becomes a consistent um students to making sure that they understand the craft, making sure they understand their population and they're putting the very best tools in front of them to make sure that they're successful. And that's something that I can say I've consistently done. Is it expensive? Sure, but they are paying for results. They get those results. And because they get those results, that's why I'm still here going to be 10 years next year. So, And, so and you're definitely right. <laughs> so definitely did, you right. Always, did you always know, like, I'm going to PT school and I'm working with dancers like was that always the plan uh and until i got injured no that was not the plan but once i got injured that definitely was the plan um and interestingly enough it took me a while to get to that place um when i graduated it was that there were two things that were pretty um that stood out in my in my particular PT school experience. And I went to University of Delaware, which is, you know, an amazing program with amazing clinicians there that are teaching the younger generation. Um, two things became really clear. I had to figure out the dance world on my own because dance was that like dance medicine was pretty new back then. Um, and a lot of my 
a lot of my teachers weren't familiar with it. So my dance, um, my first dance and my last dance um, clinical, I actually set up on my own. I went to my professor and I'm like, listen, I'm not going, I'm not doing any neuro. This is what I want to do. Here's the person, here's the contact, make it happen. Cause this is where I'm going. And he was like, okay. And that's what happened. You know, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I, I had no desire to be in a hospital setting because I knew exactly what I wanted to do. So it became very clear to me that I had to really carve my path in terms of figuring out the dance world and figuring out dance, what dance medicine practice looked like for me. Um, and also Mo can probably attest to this as well. Um, I had to figure out the, logistics of being an immigrant work coming into the workforce. So at that time, I, I came in on a student visa. As I said, I'm originally from Trinidad and Tobago. And a lot of my teachers weren't really aware of what that process was. So I was just like, so how does this work? And they were like, I don't know. So I had to figure it out on my own. So pairing those two together, it was a little bit of a rocky road for me to pair the um, the need to, you know, to make sure that the immigration side of things as well, and also finding that niche into that specialty population. Many times I wasn't successful, but I got really amazing orthopedic experiences um, throughout my career that all, honestly only bolstered my ability to really tune into this specific orthopedic population. Um, and uh, after going through a couple of work experiences, I really decided to strike out and create the environment that I wanted on my own um, to really, give back to the community that I've been part of since I was three. So it was it was a work in progress to get to this place, for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 definitely. Um, navigating the, the immigration um, part was tough. Sometimes mm -hmm. you have to take jobs that eh, may That's not be yeah. your best <laughs> situation, but it's mm -hmm. best in terms of securing um, transitioning from an F1 visa to uh, H1B visa. Yeah. Um, but you make the most of every situation that you're in. Mm -hmm. And um, my grandmother always used to say, blessed is a child who has his own. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's in the Bible, but she always used to say it's in the Bible. I've yeah. yet to see it. <laughs> <laughs> it's in her Bible. That's in her Bible. Yeah. <laughs> it's in hers. But... Um, it has definitely been a blessing, um, the experiences that we've all been through, all three of us, mm -hmm. uh, to where we are at the point now, because we can get to appreciate the journey even more and mm -hmm. what is it that you have. So um, you wouldn't be who you are today without having injured yourself years ago. Yep. And yep. seeing as an employee what... <laughs> You didn't like so oh for sure for sure you had to go through everything you know yeah so i always say the kind of employee you are the kind of employee you are also determines the kind of boss or leader you're gonna be so uh, absolutely and uh, well you and i both know we went through some stuff okay <laughs> we, we ain't gonna talk about it on this podcast but yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know so we all, need drinks to that alex we need drinks to that yeah, yeah for sure <laughs> Some, definitely some alcohol for that, for sure. Um, so what <laughs> advice would you give to new grads? Um, you know, a lot of people are eager. Like, I was eager. I've had mentors told me that I needed to slow down, learn the ropes before, you know, I, I took a big chunk out of, of the pie. And, you know, as I got into business, I'm realizing what they were saying is true. Um, so a lot of people are eager. They're determined to 
follow uh, their passion. So a lot of new grads are starting their own businesses early. Mm -hmm. um, knowing that you've been in this more than 10 years now, what advice would you give to those new grads? Take your time. Ooh, that's, a, that's a hard one because um, there's so many things to consider as well. I, I do think that we have to start by acknowledging that the world of new grads is very different to ours in terms of how we came out. They are juggling a whole host of different things that we didn't probably have to deal with or to the extent or um, it, it, it's just a different world for them. Um, I've recognized, I would say, at least at least 13 years now, I'm, I'm thinking back to my specific work experiences when I did managerial work and was hiring new grads then and being like, these people are different. Like what? what are you asking for? How could you even think of asking for this at this stage, you know? And just being really amazed at the boldness of some of them. And, and it really kind of made me become in tune to like, why would someone who is one year out ask for a larger salary? Or why would they think that this is something that they're entitled to? Um, and the student debt that new grads are coming out with, I think really dictates a lot of their decisions, honestly. And I think we would be unrealistic to expect the same road that we took to be something that works for them because it, it logistically doesn't. There are lots of us right now who are very advanced in our careers that have shifted quite a bit in figuring out what works for us from a financial status. So we are in a secure place to say, hey, you should do X, you should do Y, but we don't have the debt that they do. So that I think that really has impacted a lot of the way that new grads turn up. A lot of them are starting businesses before they graduate. A lot of them are going straight into businesses right away. Um, so what I would say to them is, I do think that you have to look around and um, surround yourself with mentors who can give you past experience that you would not have ever known that can guide your future interventions to make sure that you're going in the right direction. I think that's very invaluable to get mentors and to get people who have been around for a while and are going sort of in the path that you're way that you're going. I do think it's important to figure out what works specifically for you. There are lots of people that get hung up on, I want my career to look like Dr. Mo, or I want my career to look exactly like Alex. And every one of us, as you said, are gonna go through something different that's gonna allow us to show up very differently. And I think the sooner that you embrace the special things about you that you bring to the clinic and you bring to your patients and why they love you, the faster you're going to get in terms of moving forward in your career, because people are going to be attracted to what you bring to the table. Um, from a clinical aspect, I will say that I, I, the, the, the analytical side of me in terms of how I approach my, my clinical work and how I I treat my patients, dislikes how quickly that new grads are specializing. Because I think they miss having a really solid baseline and groundwork from which to operate. So for example, I'll pick on pelvic floor a little bit here. Um, for those new grads that they're like, I love this, this is so cool, I'm passionate about this. I wanna go into pelvic floor. And they go straight into that and they don't do enough experience in terms of developing their skills on the orthopedic side, you find yourself being a one-trick pony. Okay, so the only people that, that you're gonna see are the people that exactly fit that description. And I truly believe the beauty of a physical therapist and, and the reason why we are unique in the healthcare field and in the rehab field 
is because of what's up here. And our ability to adequately diagnose and treat people and to rule in and rule out diagnoses to make sure that we pay attention to those yellow and red flags to make sure the right person is in the right place and getting the right treatment is something that no other rehab specialist, I believe, has to our degree. And when you cut that in half by not understanding the full scope of what you're treating and you go straight to it, then you, you, you decrease your ability to really do a good job. Because there are lots of new grads out there who are five, six, eight, ten 10 years out that cannot identify a pelvic floor problem before um, outside of a hip problem. Real talk. And I, I'm not telling you this as a hypothetical. I actually know people like this, you know? And, and when you think about how many clinical hours, how much exposure they're getting, how many patients they're treating, think of all of the missed opportunities to actually have a fulfilling career for them but also think of the experience of patients that are missing out on getting an adequate diagnosis and treatment that are now gonna go back on the tail end and be like, yeah, therapy was kind of good, but you know, I'm still here, you know? So I really, I really strongly believe that I believe, I believe on stacking your skills. That's that's you know, that's another way of saying it. Building a strong orthopedic um, base, for example, will only make you a better specialist if you decide to go into just shoulders or just knees or just um, or just pelvic floor. But you need to understand the basics and master those skills before you move on to the next thing. Skills in the physical therapy world, I do believe, are stackable. And when you miss certain steps, you miss your ability to be effective for your patients. I do strongly believe that. Great advice. Definitely great advice. Did did you do a residency? No. No. Okay. I had a residency of life. <laughs> <laughs> what? So along with what you were just saying about stacking your skills and stuff like that, mm -hmm. what is your opinion on on residencies in physical therapy? I mean, I think that I did one uh, coming out of PT school. At that time, I feel like they were still pretty new, mm -hmm. um, so it wasn't like this thing that everybody wanted to do, right? It was like, mm -hmm. I, I knew that I wanted to do sports orthopedic type therapy. Um, I had a great mentor who actually was faculty at the residency that I did. Um, so it kind of made that segue a little easier for me. Mm -hmm. Now, it seems like they're popping up all over the place. Every institution has multiple residencies, orthopedic, neurologic, geriatric, cardio, you know, every specialty that we have. What Not are your thoughts health. on that? Say it again. Not home health. No, I don't know that we, I don't know how we would even begin to do that, but maybe that's yeah. something me and you can talk about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but what are your thoughts on that? Because I feel like it kind of goes into the, the, the con of what you're saying, which is, you know, develop that solid base and then build on that as opposed to residency, sports, ortho, whatever it may be. Like you're going in all in and now you're like, okay, I only know this. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, I think there are several pros and cons in terms of a residency. It, it all depends on the design, the goal of the student or, or the person that's in the residency. And then is the juice really worth the squeeze? There's so many different things to consider. Um, there are postgraduate residencies, and then I think their residencies, to my understanding, are built into, you know, actual um, programs, PT programs as well. So, you know, that you know, 
I think I think a residency within a PT program has lots of benefits if you are now going to get a concentrated space of time to develop a specific skill or to learn a population like a sports residency or orthopedic residency. I think it's valuable in that respect. Um, the question that I get asked from a lot of students is that, do you think I should do this dance residency? And I said, and my question always back to them is, what is your goal? Wait, like, where do you, what do you want to get out of it? Um, because it would be valuable if you just want to develop your ability to evaluate and treat really well. But if you're really good at that, maybe what you need is something else. Maybe you need to do differential diagnosis more. Or maybe you need to understand the difference between treating a ballet dancer that's five years old and a ballet dancer that's 30 years old. Or maybe you need to understand that there's a difference with a theater person versus a Broadway versus somebody who does tap. Maybe that's the thing that you need. So you need to ask a more intelligent question versus going into, should I just do a residency? It's too general of a question. You need more information. You need more detail in order to make a better decision. Um, I think the tool is always going to be as good as how it's used. It's as simple as that. You know, it depends on how it's used. The idea in itself seems great, how it's utilized, what the goals are, and how it's implemented within the training program, either pre or post um, degree is, I think, what needs to be understood more and, and dived into. And you're dropping some gems here tonight. <laughs> it's, it's a gem kind of night, man. <laughs> so so I, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a hot take right now, uh -huh. and uh, we'll see if the what what she thinks of it so okay. i mentioned earlier this is alex I, he likes to stir controversy i'm i'm, I'm listening <laughs> so I, I mentioned earlier that in my sports residency i had the opportunity to work with dancers granted these were much younger uh individuals middle school to high school but it was what they did right these girls uh were homeschooled specifically for the reason so that they had the maximum amount of time to dance. Uh -huh. In working with them and doing all that, I feel like not everybody can treat a dancer like everybody can treat an athlete. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Okay. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that? I agree with you. <laughs> that, that's, that's pretty easy. Um, the the thing the thing with dancers that I think um, makes this population unique is, um, as I mentioned before before we started, athletes compete against other people or they compete to to you know maybe achieve a specific skill. Dancers are competing against themselves, and the environment and the culture of dance is actually very acutely designed and curated so that there's constantly this inward looking aspect of the dancer to constantly perfect specific things over and over again. They're very detail oriented. They're very much about the look and the shape and the line of their bodies. The dance will very heavily promotes that and we can get into the aesthetics and if that's a good thing in 2023 when there's more diversity within specifically the ballet world where all of this started a long time ago. Um, but they're really, they're, the culture of dance really dictates um, it, it just has it's it's a it's a world of its own to be honest you know that i can honestly sit here and talk to you for another two hours about all of the crazy things that happens and all of the amazing things equally that happens in the dance world i think to be an efficient practitioner of um and to really reach these athletes um you do have to have a strong orthopedic base um 
you have to be very quick in your diagnostic, um, in your diagnosis. You have to be very good at differential diagnosis because a lot of things hide in these athletes, um, along with them just not even reporting things because they just want to perform. Um, and But also you do have to understand the culture of, of that because it will entirely guide you in terms of how to apply the approach that you're giving to these, to these, um, to these dancers. Um, I'll give you a very interesting example that I'm working with right now. I had a young dancer that came back um, from her. She, she started um, a program just like you described where she's dancing all day. She's been there for about a year. She went away, she came back here. Um, her dad brings her in and she's a really young dancer, beautiful dancer, but also very quiet. So there, there are two things going on here. She's Asian, so there is that cultural affect and then there's a the culture of dance. So those two things layered on top of one another. So you have to pay attention, you have to really dive in. And she comes in, she's like, yeah, I've been doing okay. Uh, you know, my legs hurt a little bit. That's it, that's all she says, okay? I do an exam, nothing less than six diagnoses. Achilles tendonitis, bilateral shin splints, I tap a tibia, she lights up off the table, pesanterine bursitis, hip strain, back strain, like a whole bunch of stuff. I'm okay, I'm, I just have a little pain. You hear the difference? Whole bunch of different things. So she has coming up for her, uh a two-week intensive in one city and then two weeks after that intensive a six-week intensive which is at a pretty prestigious place that she's really excited about going and i'm like girlfriend you can't jump you know what i mean like you have shin splints there's a good chance you may possibly have a stress reaction at this point i don't know but you can't jump and it was literally a 20-minute conversation to kind of explain to her the why behind it I saw her at the end of one week, at the end of the day on Friday, the next two, three days later, which would be the Monday, all of a sudden she had zero out of 10 pain when she had reported eight. And we know as PTs, that's not even a thing. She wants to compete. She she wants wants to compete. So now I have to play the game of how do I not be the mean guy and be like, you're not dancing because she's just gonna run away and do what she wants to do anyway. How do I protect this young dancer and make her understand that the things that we're doing is to protect her in the long run. And she needs to look at the long term because the short term of dancing now is not worth the squeeze. And that's a really hard thing to sell because in the dance world, there's a fear. And literally we talked about it the last time I saw her. There's a fear of not reporting injuries because you don't want to get replaced. The thing that's unique about dancers as athletes versus the rest of the athletic world is there's no real mechanism and vehicle for which if a dancer gets injured, they know how to get back to 100%. It is not something that is present in the dance world. Mm. You go to any sports, um, football, tennis, whatever, at the collegiate level, even at the um, the lower levels and stuff like that, the professional levels, there are athletic trainers, there are doctors, there are physical therapists, and there's a clear mechanism by which if an athlete gets injured, there's reporting, there's care, and there's rehab to get back onto the field. That does not exist in the dance world. They have two metrics, you're dancing or you're not, and that's it. So they have been trained even as young as six or seven, I've had dancers told me, yes, Susie's hurting, but she's not gonna say anything because she wants to dance. Like they know, they know, there's nothing to protect them. So I'm the only protection between this dancer and looking out for herself long-term and you know, fighting against her urge to be like, I gotta perform now because I only have so much time. And when I turn 30, my body's magically gonna disintegrate and I can't dance anymore because ageism is a huge thing in the dance world. Um, 
and really making her understand that you got to protect this vessel that you're in. This is your ticket. This is your prize. And if you don't protect it now, not only will you not be able to dance effectively next week, next month, next year, but 10 years from now, you're not going to be doing anything at all, you know? So honestly, I forgot the question. I just kept talking. <laughs> no, how, how much leverage do you think it gives you is with this particular case study that you were a dancer? Like, so you understand the the ins and outs of the dance world, right? Like you can go to this young lady and say, I was in your shoes. I've done what mm -hmm. you've done to help convey that message, right? Because I think of it as an athlete when I've dealt with athletes, you know, being on the PT side and, and when I was an athlete myself, like when somebody tells you like, oh, you need to look long-term or you need to, to focus on that, like you're not trying to hear that. Right? No. You, you don't want nothing to do with that because in your head, you're like, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what it is. But in this case, you do because I do. A, you were a dancer from a very young age. Yeah, so do, I do. Do you factor <laughs> that into your conversations with this individual and or others? Oh, absolutely. You you have to use every leverage as you can with these, with these athletes because they're no different and regardless of what your opinion of dancers are they're no different from any other athlete they will they will dance until they're mangled and have a foot dragging off and then come into the clinic and be like can you fix this i got a show in three days they will do that like like no joke you know and i again i can speak for ages about some of the crazy injuries that i've that i've seen case in point i've had a dancer stretch herself into labral tears bilateral labral repairs stretching that's it she wasn't doing anything magical just trying to get her flexibility label tears it's that crazy you know what i mean so again you know i use every single tool to my benefit i do a lot of education with my dancers um not only on the benefits of physical therapy as an intervention to get them better um but also the importance of cross training of injury prevention understanding about your nutrition your hydration, your sleep, all of these things, these incidental things that add up to making sure that they're performing at their best. Um, and that's a lot of the work that I do with the Dance Ready Project as well. I pull in the teachers, I pull in the, the, the dads, the moms, I get everything, I pull everything out of my box in order to make sure they have a support system. And the biggest thing that I teach them is self-advocacy um, because it is important for these dancers to feel like they have a voice and the system that they work in does not facilitate that. So I'm the one who is saying, I'm on your team. Tell me what you want. You want to get back in three weeks? This is how we do it. You want me to talk to mom? I'll talk to your teachers for you. You have to be that person who's going to be their right hand and feel like they have a really strong support system because a lot of times they don't feel empowered to speak. Um, so I pull out everything that I possibly can, everything. It's, it's important. And once they... I do believe, you know, a lot of my success hinges on the fact that they realize that I'm on their side. And a lot of times they feel alone when they have an injury. Like they're like, I can't tell mom, mom is going to be mad. She spent all of this money for dance and now I can't perform. I can't tell the teachers because the teacher is going to say, you're letting down all of your friends. And now we have to do a cash change or I put on weight. So now we have to get a new costume. Yes, that's a thing. Like they will put weight. So all of the, um, eating disorders in the dance world is a real thing. There will, there will be casting calls that will be said 
that they will say, you must be this height or you must be this weight because we are not getting new costumes. Like that's a thing. Yeah. So when you have that, that much pressure in terms of what this external things looks like in order to that's hinging on your success, they do some crazy stuff, you know? So I, I, I really try to make sure that they understand that they are not alone. You know, they're not alone in their injury. They're not the only person to get injured. It's the reason why, you know, I have my Dancing Around Elephant podcast. I highlight dancers who have successfully gotten through injuries. So they have motivation to be like, okay, there's hope, you know, because they don't talk about injuries in the dance world at all. And I make sure that they understand that they have someone who is solely on their side. So. Yeah, I've seen well, the movie Black Swan. It's crazy. <laughs> You 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 believe you believe in your product and you sell it. You know, a lot of us push that uh, no pain no gain, but in the dance world, that's that's incorrect. Um, most mm -hmm. athletes are told to push through, to suck it up. Again, mm -hmm. that could have an impact on your mental health. I mean, there's a lot of things that you talked about that mm -hmm. we just got out of Mental Health Awareness Month. So, yeah, uh, is mental health available for these clients, or is that in your toolkit for? The program that you and your uh, business partner have created? Uh, no, not directly. The most that we do is we probably do um, some, we've started putting together some, where well, we're going to release this in a couple of weeks, but we're starting to put together some dance protocols because there's not a lot of dance protocols in the world. Believe that. Lots of sports protocols, nothing for dance. Concussions, nothing. You know, um, you know, um, a lot of different things we're trying to put together. What I'm working on is also actually sickle cell trade, which is of personal interest to me because that's something that I dealt with as a kid and didn't even realize until I'm like, oh, this is so familiar. You know, this is a thing. Um, but what we are, but there are lots of people in the dance world who have been focusing on mental health, um, specifically since the pandemic, because the pandemic was really rough on the performance world. Like Broadway was shut down, everything like so many performance venues were completely shut down for COVID, dancers were dancing, you know, in these like four by four places at home and getting injured and doing crazy stuff as they had to deal with pets and kids and not dancing to their capacity because the dance world consistently use frequency to progress their strength gains. And we all know how that goes with um, repetitive over overuse injuries. So there have been quite a, a couple of people who've been putting stuff out there there's, um, there's an organization called Minding the Gap, and they do a lot of mental health stuff for dancers. Um, there's the International Association of Dance Medicine and Science. There's quite a few psychologists that are in that organization that do quite a bit of mental health work, um, offering one-on-one -on -one services for dancers, um, and also offering programs as well. And it's past the mental health as well, Mo. You know, there's also the nutrition aspect. I work with at least two amazing nutritionists, one based here in DC, um, and another one based in New York um, that really starts getting diving into the mentality or the emotions behind what healthy eating looks like, which is huge for the dance world, for the reason that I stated before. And they really provide really amazing resources and tools for these dancers to make sure that they have everything that they need. So the resources are out there. We, I think we do need stronger vehicles to present these, these um resources in front of dancers, which is all of what the Dance Ready Project is about. Okay. So you said when you were in school, um, your teachers didn't really know much about performance um, physical therapy. Mm -hmm. uh, those that are students now, how can they, if they're interested in doing 
well, I shouldn't say residency, but if they're interested in getting into uh, performance physical therapy, mm -hmm. it's a niche. There yep. Not many people that I know are in it. So how can they find resources to help navigate um, that while in school and beyond graduation? Um, well, I would say the the scope of dance medicine has dramatically multiplied since I've been in school. I will say that even the presence at APTA meetings in terms of your talks, the last one that I went to, I was like, whoa, where did all these people come from? So it's getting a lot more popular, which is great. Um, as I said before, there are different organizations that where you can connect with dance medicine professionals, whether it's um, physical therapists, athletic trainers, um, physicians, dance teachers, yoga trainers, all of those people that interact with dancers. IADAMS, International Association of Dance, Medicine and Science is one of them. I'm on one of their boards. Um, PAMA, which is Performing Arts Medical Association, also kind of is more located within the US. It's not an international organization. They do lots of research and tools and teaching for dancers as well. Um, and social media is such a go-to right now. There's so many amazing accounts um, by loads of amazing PTs that is putting in quality work out there in terms of educating dancers on things that I mentioned before, injury prevention, nutrition, proper techniques, sleep, hydration, um, mental health resources, all of these things. A lot of them you can actually find on social media. Um, and there's, you know, anyone could, of course, I live on Instagram for the most part, you know, feel free to reach out to me um, and I can connect you, if not with myself, with so many people that are doing great work in the field. Okay, uh, definitely, we need to amplify uh, the voices that are out there that are encouraging um, this specialty. So, mm -hmm. it's 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 um, definitely awesome. So, um, <sighs> we started this podcast because we wanted to create like a platform for uh, black and people of color um, clinicians because you know we're we're still in the minority. Mm -hmm. um you being a black female immigrant mm -hmm. uh, what's the population well the percentage or census of um BPOC, uh pts in the performance um physical therapy space i could say i know one two three four four <laughs> okay <laughs> oh five 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 uh, do they all have an orthopedic uh, base? Yes, yes. Um, either orthopedics or sports, one or the other. Um, usually that's that's how dancers, um, if you're getting into dance medicine, that's usually how you go. You're either coming in from an ortho standpoint or from a sports standpoint. Okay. So um, representation matters. Um, Absolutely. You, are, you know, you're a great speaker, great motivator. Um, like what role do you see yourself playing beyond uh, being an owner and the physical therapist for the dancers or the stars, we're gonna say, you know, manifesting stuff. Um, <laughs> what role do you see yourself playing in terms of helping um, promote the physical therapy profession uh, to minorities? Um, my hope really is to do that, not just with the work that I do in my clinic, um, but also to 
you know, the work that we do at the Dance Ready Project really speaks to both of myself and my business partner, our passion of really providing those resources and tools for dancers. Um, my personal goal with that is to set the standard of care that should be implemented for dancers across the board. As I mentioned before, um, dancers do not have a specific um, mechanism by which they can get their injuries identified, reported, identified, or taken care of. It just does not exist. There are pockets of companies that do this well, Albany American Dance Theater, ABT, these larger companies that have big budgets and are, you know, world-renowned, you know, um, organizations, but on the pre-professional level um, and on the larger scale for the professional level, this is just not something that, that happens. Um, I do feel strongly going off on a little tiny tangent here that dancers are very much just like the minority population when it comes to medicine. They are not very vocal. Um, they're, you know, they're, they're a very specific population. There are things that apply to them that don't apply to other populations. And, you know, I think that they're largely disregarded and ignored by the medical world. Um, so we have all had at some point the experience of walking into a physician's office and not seeing someone that looks like you or sounds like you and feeling really intimidated and not feeling empowered to have a voice to speak up and say what's on your mind and to get your needs taken care of. I feel dancers to a large extent are exactly that. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a little bit of a similarity that runs within that vein. And I think as healthcare providers, there's a lot that we can learn from working with dancers and understanding that the issues that they have is probably the issues that a lot of other patients are going to have coming into um, any facility to get care. You know, they want to be heard. They want to make sure that their needs are being met and they want to make sure that they're actually on a, on a path that gets better, that really fits with them. So my goal, coming back to your question, my goal um, within this space is to really amplify this work and really use it as a tool to really start getting people to start thinking about longevity in however they move, whether you're a dancer or not a dancer, however you're navigating this life. And I think we're all in a space of looking for quality of life. Everyone is thinking, how can I get a better salary? How can I get a better car? How can I get a good PR when I run tomorrow? Everyone is looking for a better quality of life. This is my way of contributing to that conversation of saying, this is a population that I want to empower with the tools and resources to get better. A lot of people are looking at this work and being like, huh, this is interesting. This is great for dancers, but it's also planting the seed of this is what I want for myself as well. This is what I want in my community. This is what I want for my family, for my health and for my wealth. So that's my way of giving back and also allowing you know minority PTs or people that are out there who are interested in the medical profession or physical therapy for that standpoint um, to understand that you can make a difference you know I, I I think my career has gone in a really interesting realm of I've spent 17 years well not 17 years take that back 11 years patching up dancers in the clinic. And I wanted to make sure like, what could, what, when, I, when I'm out of here, when I'm no longer in the clinic, what am I leaving behind? What's my legacy? And this is what I see as my legacy work. I wanna make sure that I leave a lasting impression of these are things that you can, you can have. These are tools, resources. These are things that you should have in order to make sure that you're lasting a lifetime for dancing. I don't believe that dance ends at 30. 
and I don't believe that life ends at 30, you know, or when you have an injury, then everything is done. There's way more that we can get out of our living and our life. And um, this is just something, a, a tool that I'm using to really, um, to really just kind of facilitate the conversation and the idea and plant the seed that we can all show up in a way that we can empower people around us and, and empower ourselves as well. Uh, most, uh, most definitely. Um, hey, Marky. So, yeah, he said, so happy to see you live. Bravo to all of you. Thanks, um, <laughs> Dr. Julius. Um, so how can people find out more about the Dance Ready Project? I, I uh, think it's, it's going to be a great legacy indeed. I, I, I am hoping that it is. Um, follow us on IG. We just started relaunching and started to kind of get back onto that platform. So Dance Ready project is where you will find us on instagram you can type in dance ready you can um, put it in the comments so people could um, sure. <laughs> find. um you can also go to our website and sign up for our newsletter or to connect with us so we can send you um emails um that's danceready.org um and you guys can definitely connect with me directly as well on instagram free ptbc um and uh, that's I'm I'm one of the plugs. I'm one of the two people in it. So you're you're um, we're happy to connect with you guys there. So, but this not on, this doesn't only help dancers. So we just had a, um, a yoga Bikram yoga um, owner on a couple of weeks ago. So people who perform yoga or mm -hmm. uh, weekend, as you said, sometimes you go um, salsa dancing. So. We call them weekend warriors. Uh huh. <laughs> so we so. we can start to that weekend dancers. Yeah, I I actually just before I came on, I spoke with a guy that one of my patients connected me to, and he does the DC National Congress. It's apparently mm -hmm. huge salsa dancing, um, you know, conference that happens here in DC. It's happening in about a week and a half, mm -hmm. and we're hardly in talks. He was like, I think you should be in this space. And we're talking about what's going to happen next year. It's a little bit too late this year um, mm -hmm. of really making sure that we um, that we have some sort of talk or conversation about the people that are not dancers. What about those are the people that want to move? And it's all, as I said before, it's all about quality of life. It's all about we all want to have an amazing life. Nobody is on this planet thinking, I, would, I just want to have a crappy life today. That's what I'm going to settle for. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. So in terms of the way that I can contribute to that, um, it's about movement and it's about health. We know that health is wealth. And once you put a lot of that money in the bank to dial up your health, um, there's so much that you can do and enjoy in this world. Yeah, so excited about that. Well, I mean, this was awesome. Really do thank you for taking the time to be with us. Um, obviously talking to you brought up a lot of fun stuff that, that I got to do in my residency. I, I, I think your legacy uh, will be spot on because I, I feel like not only have you found an, a niche for helping these people, but it's like you said, it's looking down the road to where they're just just trained not to look that far, right? Because they, they can only look as far as their next recital, as their next, you know, their next performance, whatever that may be, but looking out for them long-term, like you said, and I, and I agree with you where dancers or performing artists are probably kind of left behind in the medical world. Um, 
I tend to think is because people are intimidated by them um, because they don't really know how to go about dealing with them. So that in itself is scary and puts people off. But I think what you're doing and, and, and what you're wanting to accomplish um, has the potential to, to be very lasting uh, effect for, for that population. So uh, kudos to you. Um, if there's anything that Mo and I can do to help with that, please let us know. Um, because yeah, I think this is a, a, a need um, and to have somebody with your experience um, in the in the dance world and in the rehab world um, will go a long way to, to help bridge that gap. Um, but again, thank you very much for taking the time to be with us. We really enjoyed it. Um, and then we look forward to, to following and, and seeing all the, the good stuff that Dance Ready and yourself has is, is got going on. Good. Thank you. No, this was an awesome conversation. Thank you for having me. The way that you guys can support, like, talk about the Dance Ready Project. Like, we have some really exciting things that are coming up, and we're excited to really engage the community in the conversations about what's needed for dancers. There is no reason that dancers should be left behind. We are just as much as athletes as anyone else. <laughs> and and there is um and and there's a lot of work to be done in advocating for this population um and making sure they have the resources and tools that they have to continue their their sport and their art form you know and we have a lot of work to do as clinicians as well to make sure that the work that we're doing and the tools that we have get in front of them i i think there's equal work to be done as well so absolutely absolutely yeah. All right, so thank you again to all our followers. Always thank you very much. We really appreciate your support. Uh, continue to follow, like, share, retweet, all that good stuff. Go ahead and follow Dance Ready Projects and keep up with them, all the cool stuff that they got going on. Um, again, and you, you have some upcoming live shows on Instagram, right? Yes, we're going to probably be doing that within the next two or three weeks. It's going to be a five-day a five IG live. And the topic is going to be um, are dancers athletes and is dancers sports? So yeah, come come with your opinions. We want to hear you. It, it's gonna it's gonna be good. It's gonna be a good conversation. I, I'm I'm sure I'm sure it will be. Anything that you're involved in, it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. It, it's gonna so. be good. And and we're really really interested in kind of engaging the community. Even if you're not a dancer, like if even if you're if you're not a dancer, you you're you are a dancer at heart because you watch us perform. You are our audience. You know, so the, the community that surrounds the dance world, not just the dancers themselves, is equally as important in this conversation because we are the ones that support dancers and go to their shows. We are the ones that are clinicians that are treating them, or we are the ones that are triaging them when they get into an accident or, or have something. So our opinions matter as well. So this is not just for dancers. We want everyone involved in this. All okay. right. All right, well, good night, everyone. Thank you, D, for joining us. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for having me. Uh, you're welcome. Have a great evening, everyone. You too.